This is Blockbuster Film School. This is Blockbuster Film School. Welcome you in because it is the Blockbuster Film School, the Royal Blockbuster Film Academy. I am one of your professors and the lunch lady, Mr. Alexander Bonner. I'm joined as always by your headmaster and the head coach of the soccer or sometimes called football team, Mr. Nicholas Souder. We prefer football, but we also prefer to be called the lunch staff. <laughs> I appreciate There's that. a lot less... Pressure. What's the nickname for our soccer team here at the Blockbuster Film School? Um, the Invisibles. <laughs> I like this. Yeah. I really, it's a Grant Morrison reference. I really enjoy that. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah. Well, everybody, welcome in. We're having, well, a grand old time. We're having a grand old time this evening. We're joined as always by super producer Brian Tepps. Hey, everybody. Oh, hi, Brian. How's things? Shut up. Anyway, uh, so uh, <laughs> that's not true. Brian is the whole reason the show works. Um, that's why we have to mock him openly at the beginning. He's playing uh, with his synth app. Yeah, his theremin. Man, those are great synth sounds you're making right there. Ah! Nailed it. Well, everyone. That's how synths work, right? Yeah, I think they make cawing crow sounds. That's the one main thing. I know that's not the subject of this episode, and there's also no synth music in it. Correct. So I'm not even going to finish this thought. Okay. But the remake of Suspiria is a lot of fun. Hell yeah. Oh, man. If you've never seen the remake of Suspiria, you really should. God, I love Tilda. and it, So many Tildas. So much epic Tilda mayhem. So good. Also, what's her name? Who Dakota Johnson. Dakota Johnson. I didn't know she could act. I didn't know she, yeah, I didn't know she could be that thought, badass. Yeah. She's uh, great in that. She's really badass, and it's sexy and spooky and violent and well-made, and, man, it's good. It's actually a very original remake because it's completely the opposite of the original Italian classic. You know who is an Italian? Who? Christopher Gust. That's true, and that is our guest this evening. Do you see what I did? I'll see myself out. But Is he here? This evening, here on Blockbuster Film School, he is not here, unfortunately. He oh. stood us up for our fifth date. But as Nick referenced, he is not here tonight, but our topic this evening is a director, an actor, a musician, a royal, mm. uh, Mr. Christopher Guest. Stop for a crowd noise. Nailed it. All right, so. Here's my thing. Yeah. I know he's not here. Correct. How do we know Brian isn't Christopher Guest in well, a character? Ooh, that's interesting. He may have been rusing us this entire yeah. time. He just pulls off his mask, Mission Impossible style. Yeah, and he's like, I'm not really Brian. <laughs> I've never listened to Nine Inch Nails. A hound dog appears. Well, this is going to be a hound dog. The hol- You'll be a little hound dog. Anyway, um, so we're going to talk about Mr. Christopher Hayden Guest, the fifth Baron Hayden Guest. You may not know that Mr. Christopher Guest was straight up in the lineage, and at one point, in the House of Lords, technically, until he was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And they passed an act of parliament where they basically said, any of these weird random lords, who some of which aren't even British anymore, who don't want to be in the House of Lords, we should just let them not yeah. do it. They don't have to vote. Also, the weird thing is that it didn't happen until Lord released the song Royals. Oh. I blame that... Australian. Well, it happened in 1999 when she was born, I think. So, uh, oh. 
<laughs> I don't know, but maybe. You know what? Sometimes I write my own Wikipedia page for yeah. the guests. You might want to go back and check out everything I said during the Denzel Washington thing. Turns out he is not three kids in an overcoat. <laughs> like I was the wrong. little rascals? Yeah. Oh, man. I, I was wrong about that. That is true. He is not. I've seen him with his shirt off, so at least we know that he's at least two little rascals. All right, so we're going to talk about Christopher Guest. As we said, uh, if you don't know who Christopher Guest is, you do. You have seen a Christopher Guest movie if you live in America. So we'll go through his whole career. He's been in tons of stuff. Obviously, this is Spinal Tap. He created an entire genre with Waiting for Guffman and The Mighty Wind and my secret favorite, For Your Consideration. Also, he was in The Princess Bride. And he played a royal asshole. Who was inbred with six fingers. Yeah. Weird. It's almost as if you may have known some people like that. Daddy? (laughs) Oh, yes, daddy. I'm a daddy, just like daddy was. Okay, anyways, so let's talk about Mr. Christopher Guest. We're going to go into it. But before we do, Nick, what's the first Christopher Guest movie you either saw or really remember realizing how much you liked Christopher Guest? I think on this one you can kind of My dad absolutely loves This is Spinal Tap. Oh, wow. I've been watching Spinal Tap since I remember watching movies. Yeah. He had a weird copy of it. He, as soon as we got a VCR and it was on like channel nine, like uh, censored and shit, he recorded off of that. And then eventually he got a copy. And then as times move along, I got him a remastered copy and then the DVD nice. and then the DVD remastered with all the bonus stuff and then the Blu-ray and then the 4K <laughs> and whatever else is next. I have to keep getting them. This is found and I don't mind. Yeah. But it's just like. It's the best, man. It is the best. It's amazing. Did Smell the Glove make the edited television no. version? <laughs> no. <laughs> the edited version is only 54 minutes. <laughs> of course It's it mostly is. just them getting lost behind the stage. Yes. And Stonehenge. Them, Stonehenge. <laughs> and then, oh, my God. I just realized this. I was at a Sleater Kinney concert, and my friend Sam was going to the bathroom. She goes, I don't know if I want to find my way back. How do we know how to get a hold of each other? And I'm looking around. They already had the fog and the smoke machine going. I was just like, Stonehenge. So whenever we're lost at a concert and I hear somebody yelling Stonehenge, 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 Stonehenge. And they just follow. We just follow each other's voices. And we always wind up back together. Just right now, I realize. Stonehenge is a great safe word. Because of Spinal Tap. Hell yeah. My safe word is cookie dough. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Hmm. Mine is braggadocio. <laughs> I don't know why, but I feel like that would come up too often for you to use as a safe word. Uh, I'm going to get into a lot of uh, sexy slash dueling situations in which I accuse people of being braggadocious. And then I slap them with a velvet glove. Do uh, they smell the glove? They may. I'm not sure what's going on. Well, speaking of, I think it's because we found out that Mr. Christopher Guest is a noble. He... Was born a noble. We'll go into it. Mine was also in The Gambit. My family loved The Princess Bride. I watched it a lot. I still like it a lot. Carrie Elway's is amazing in it. It's easily probably the best thing Rob Reiner's ever made. It's mm, debatable. Uh, what do you think? I mean, when Harry Met Sally, uh, I'm sorry. You ever seen a little movie called North? <laughs> of, of course. I mean, it won Best Picture. And in it, I remember him as the man with six fingers. And is such a good bad guy and gets into the great sword fight with Indigo Montoya, a.k.a. Yeah. Omar Sharif. <laughs> That's his name. What is his name? Mandy Patinkin. Mandy Patinkin. 
and I absolutely adored all of the sword fighting and piracy and weird giant rats and everybody looks angelic in it. They do. They're very young. Yes. They're crisp. Also, Wallace Shawn is in that movie. He looks a very clean 65. I mean, we can keep talking. Andre the Giant is a revelation. I'm not familiar with him. Who is he? He is a giant who is from France. Oh, the tall guy. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Anybody want a peanut? You know, the Uh, weird thing is my family doesn't like the movies because they don't like pirates. And I keep telling them they're not pirates. (laughs) They just, you know. Some of them are. He's the Dread Pirate Roberts. Yeah, but I mean, it's not a pirate movie. No, it's not. It just happens to have a pirate in it. Exactly. And it's all it took. I was like, yeah. I was like, Peter Fox in this. Like, it's not enough for us to watch it. Also, I don't, deal know about, breaker. I don't know about you, but I related hard. I most certainly was playing Nintendo in a bear shirt. And then someone came in to tell me stuff. And I was like, what is this? Like that Fred Savage beginning. I may be related to as a child more than anything. I had. That, that room kind of looked like my room. It was the most dead on Chicago child thing I could think of. I don't know. So I can't relate to it. Yes. That's fair. End of sentence. I know you. You hate Peter Falk. You hate him telling no, no, stories. No, no. I, I edited that out. I love <laughs> Peter Falk. I was at Facets uh, a couple years ago when people were still going to the cinema. Yes. Do you remember the cinema, Brian? I don't know why I singled you out, but uh, <laughs> do you remember laughter, Brian? Then it's like the guitar solo from <laughs> Stairway. But no, at uh, Facets they had just have randomly a picture of Peter Falk up, and it's it. amazing. Hey, and I took a photo of myself where my eyes were lined up with Peter Falk and it looks like we're the same person, except I'm like a foot taller than him and alive. But see, this is what I'm saying. That's why the show worked. I'm Fred Savage. You're Peter Falk. You understand? Like we related to two different people when we saw that. I mean, I didn't relate to Peter Falk as a child. (laughs) You wear a felt fedora all the time. You said this look works. (laughs) It does for you. All right. So we're going to talk about him. But before we get into his movies real quick, I have to bring up, a little bit of his history, because it's important. He is a New Yorker. He is an American. He was born Christopher Hayden Guest, February 5th, 1948. He's 73 years old. He was born in New York City, New York. And his father was Peter Hayden Guest, the fourth Baron Hayden Guest. His mother was Jean Pauline Hines. And his grandfather was a very famous diplomat and uh, noble, was a member of the House of Lords oh. in in Great Britain, where his father was from. It was Franz Ferdinand, right? It's, <laughs> yes, he was part of the Black Hand. He started World War I. Um, no, that is not true. Guest holds a hereditary British peerage, which is a weird term that they have now, in which you are still a noble. As I said, some of them are like, I don't want to have anything to do with having to do shit in government anymore. I'm just rich. Please leave me alone. And they literally created a law where they were like, you can still be a noble, but you don't have to really govern anyone because that's not exactly yeah. how it works anymore. So he still has his peerage. He is still a peer of the nobles, but is not technically a ruling class member of the British aristocracy. He has publicly expressed a desire to see the House of Lords reformed as a democratically elected chamber and completely done away with. He's said this before because he's a straight up American maniac. And he was initially active in the House of Lords in his life when he was in his 20s. And then was like, I got I to gotta stop this shit. And part of why he stopped was uh, his wife, Jamie Lee Curtis, who we will talk about, is also kind of politically active and was like, it's kind of weird that you are involved in a non-democratically elected government. It's, it's weird. And so he was like, well, you are very attractive and also very cool and one of the greatest movie stars of all time. I will do what you say. 
as I imagine how that conversation went. As I said, he was born in New York. His mother, Jean Pauline Hines, also no slouch. She was an American former vice president of casting at CBS. So she was a big dog at CBS. His grandfather converted to Judaism. and My lifelong dream. Yeah. <laughs> and, and also his uncle, Colonel Albert Goldsmith, a British officer who founded the Jewish Lads and Girls Brigade in England. However, guest parents were no longer Jewish and they basically were atheists and he himself considers himself non-religious. He spent most of his childhood in the United Kingdom, but then came back to attend the High School of Music and Art in New York City. Fancy, for real. Mm. Um, He studied the clarinet at Stockbridge School in Interlaken in Massachusetts. Also, we should get into it. He's an amazing musician. He's an incredibly talented musician. He's amazing at like the mandolin, he was friends in high school with Arlo Guthrie, and they played in little bands together. And Guthrie thinks he's one of the best banjo players in the history of the world, and it's very possible. He then was in the blue. Fuck Arlo Guthrie. Yeah, <laughs> he's not wrong. Yes, but also it's like all these folk assholes. Mm-hmm. We can all blame it back to that guy's lineage. Yeah, it's true. If it wasn't for him, Bob Dylan would never have hated his career, turned into a cokehead and crashed his motorcycle and then recorded those Christian albums. Which sucked. Although that later album he did where he got the Oscar for Wonder Boys was pretty good. Yeah, but by then he wasn't a Christian anymore. That is true. He was (laughs) back to being one of the chosen people. (laughs) Also, Brian, if I convert to Judaism, am I a chosen person or am I just like, is it like a a waiting list? (laughs) Brian did the classic... uh, like, Shoulders shrug, keep talking about the subject. The, the rabbi move. Oh, oh. Yeah. Uh, so uh, <laughs> who's to say? Anyway, so Guest was in a lot of bands, anywhere from bluegrass to rock and roll. And he went to Bard College for a year. And then he studied acting at New York University's graduate acting program at the Tisch School of the Arts in the late 60s, early 70s, which is, like I said, the outside of maybe Juilliard, the most prestigious, and maybe the Royal Acting Academy in England, the most prestigious schools you can go to is the Tisch School of Arts. The big thing that he started doing was acting on Broadway. He was in Michael Weller's Moon Children, all this kind of stuff. He did a lot of things. But the big thing that happened was he got involved with National Lampoon, which was in New York at the time. And if you don't know what National Lampoon is, they were a magazine that was at Harvard. And then Doug Keeney, who was a comedic genius, kind of took it and expanded it and took all of his funny friends who were in New York, people like John Belushi, people like Chevy Chase, people like Gilda Radner, and he expanded it into a stage show and a radio show, and particularly something called the National Lampoon Radio Hour, which would be stolen from Doug Caney, no joke, and I'm sorry if he's listening to this. I do actually like Lorne Michaels and appreciate him in a lot of ways, but he did kind of just straight up steal Doug Caney's idea and instead of it being a radio show, he turned it into a television show and called it Saturday Night Live. But before that happened, they recorded an album and a live movie that was called National Lampoon's Lemmings, which was half a live recording of the show and half itself its own movie where there were sketches and is kind of a little bit a mockumentary, which would be something that Christopher S. would get back into. Have you ever seen uh, National Lampoon's Lemmings, Nick? No, I am afraid of lemons. (laughs) Lemmings. I am afraid of lemons. (laughs) I see. Is this mic on? I I see. If you've never seen it, if you can find a copy of it, it may be on Amazon, but National Lampoon's Lemmings is very funny. It still, I think, has lots of things that stand up. It 
basically was a musical that starts with a bunch of sketches. And then the second half of it is called Woodshuck, Three Days of Peace, Love, and Death, which is just a giant parody of Woodstock in which different performers perform different songs, including Christopher Guest being Bob Dylan. I might have seen this. <laughs> and also my personal favorite is when he then later is James Taylor and does a song called Highway Toes, a parody of how James Taylor was addicted to heroin. And already he's writing funny songs. He's doing funny voices. He's doing funny characters. And he's involved in something that is a self-aware documentary live performance of a bunch of lunatics and their insane personalities. This will never come back in his career. Oh, wait. So after that, he does a bunch of goofball roles in The Hot Rock and 1974's canon films, Death Wish, starring, uh, what's his face? Where a white Charles guy, Grodin. Charles, Charles Bronson, where a white guy shoots some people because he's mad at them. It didn't age well. After that, though, and why this is important, in 1977, he's in some episodes of All in the Family, where he is... Uh, Can I do it? Yeah. Oh, wait, you know what? Never mind, that's Sanford and Son theme. Keep going. <laughs> but what's important about it is that a man named Rob Reiner was on that show. He was Meathead, which is his real name. And him and Christopher Guest became friends. And Christopher Guest wrote on the show, and they cooked up an idea for, as Nick mentioned, really the thing that initially launched Christopher Guest. Also, we'll get into it, though, but in 1984, Rob Reiner and Christopher Guest, Reiner directing, Guest writing it, but... It really has a lot of improvisational style. He is Nigel Tufnell in This is Spinal Tap. He's go to 11. Nick, what are just some some thoughts on This is Spinal Tap? This is Spinal Tap is, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's an idea that grew beyond whatever they filmed. It is one of the greatest documentaries of all time, if not the best. Every rock star before grunge mm-hmm. is in this movie without being in it. And also we know a bunch of like, you know, artists are great and I love them, especially musicians, but so many of us are just fucking dumb. <laughs> and this is what this does. It's like, yeah, I can write the greatest song in the world, uh-huh. but also I'm going to complain about how small the bread is. Oh, the I egos. Go, oh, the everything in this. They break up like a dozen times. <laughs> Fran Dresser's in this movie. Oh, it's the yeah. only time I thought she Everybody was funny. Everybody is. Billy Everybody's Crystal. Billy Crystal's in it. Paul Schaefer, a personal friend to one of my heroes, David Letterman. <laughs> I don't give a shit about Paul Schaefer. But this movie is start to finish just absolutely hilarious. Yes. There's a gag in there, if you don't know, where their drummers just keep dying, including one that just explodes on stage. <laughs> it's great. I can't. I was thinking about asking you of like, What's your favorite gag in Spinal Tap? And when I thought to myself, I have like three or four that pop yeah. out. Just off the top of your head, what's what's your favorite gag in Spinal Tap? Favorite gag is the super tiny Stonehenge, oh. but also just like... <laughs> the, the Druids. No one yeah. knows who they were or what they were doing. <laughs> the one that I use, or the one I think of a lot, just because how stupid Harry Cher looks <laughs> is when he goes through security with a fucking zucchini in his pants oh, wrapped man. up in aluminum foil. <laughs> also, we should say Harry Shearer is one of the band members, as well as Michael McKeon as David St. Ubbins, yeah. the leader of the band. 
And what I love about Christopher Guest too is that he's so amazing at being hilarious, but also he's totally fine with letting other people just steal all the scenes. Exactly. He literally just facilitates stuff. He does something dumb so that Michael St. Hubbins can freak out on yeah. it. Like it's, <laughs> it, it, it's he so. He gets to stand there and go, but the, it goes to 11. <laughs> but then everyone else around him yeah. can do whatever they want to do. Yes. This is, is, like you said, like he is, if he was a band, he would be the guy who was like, yeah, I'm going to write a solo for this. But for the rest of the album, you guys do whatever you want. So it's like <laughs> the same thing with all of his movies. He does this gag and this gag and he gets to do what he wants. But then really you have, you know, Catherine O'Hara over here and mm. fucking everybody else doing everything else. And it started with this. You're totally right. And coming up with wild ensemble mockumentaries that have a plot to them, but they are very improvisational and they're very electric because they feel so on the wire and they have this weird energy where people you can kind of palpably understand that some of these people don't know exactly what's going to happen also the running theme in a lot of his movies is they feel good they're feel good movies and nobody really fucking wins anything (laughs) nobody's life is like super improved by the end of it right but it's just like they did something they never get first. Never. Never. Well, I mean, some people get first. Some people get first. But but it's not. The people who deserve it, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> everybody else, like, still, they still, like, win. Right. Or they learn. It's a little victory. Or they it, learn something or they progress. But it's not about, like, overcoming something or really doing anything. Right. Like, grand. It's like, you know, oh, look, fourth place. Hey, I got fourth place. Right. Like the the plot of Spinal Tap is they're trying to get like their last album made. Yeah. And they're trying to get their last album produced and their fame is waning and they have to come to terms with this and they have to come to terms that their fame is no longer existent exactly. And so they have to deal with that, which honestly, when they play at SeaWorld and play like Jazz Odyssey, because nobody's the, there. <laughs> it's amazing. But my personal favorite gag is... And the first time I saw it with a buddy of mine in high school and I was high and I watched it. And when he starts doing all of his quote unquote, like solos and one of them involves him using a violin bow on a second and then hitting the other guitar with his foot and it's terrible. And everyone's like, that's genius. It's amazing. (laughs) Also where he like, I forget who it is. I think it is him where he like, Leans so far back he can't get up the floor and the roadie has to lift him up like a broken recliner. Also the fact that him, he is such a great actor. He truly is. And as always, comedic actors often get discounted because every single character he does in every single movie is its own universe. Yeah. And Nigel Tufnail is no different. His bangs and his weird dead eyed (laughs) sort of vacancy, but he's also almost idiot savant level ability to play music and that that is oddly something that a lot of musicians connect to <laughs> of just having zero just intellectual ability, but spacing through life, <laughs> but you can play it by ear, baby. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, it's a, it's a world full of Charlie Kelly's. <laughs> it really is. It's or Dennis's. And because yeah. Michael say Albans is just a pompous lunatic who is the leader of the band who thinks he knows what he's talking about and he never has no. any idea. There's a very, what's the line for there? It's a very thin line between 
genius and absurd. There's a very thin line between being brilliant and stupid. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, I mean, it's very true. It's very true. Any other takes on Spinal Tap? I'd love to continue talking about it forever, but any things you want to toss in there? Uh, This is Spinal Tap. came out in, like, what, 1981? Uh, Came out in 1984. That was the last time that Rob Reiner looked younger than his father. (laughs) R.I.P. Carl Reiner. R.I.P. <laughs> I mean, I love Carl Reiner. I do too. I honestly have not that much beef with Rob Reiner. I like some of his I don't movies. either. Like, I, I like Rob Reiner. He occasionally I mean, is like a blowhard in some of his interviews and his weird, like, nonsensical political views sometimes where he's like, they should ban cigarettes in the world. And you're like, who cares, yeah. you idiots? Like, <laughs> But it's still better than, you know, voting no. for whatever. Oh, exactly. It's, it's like, just, yeah, it's just like, I'm going to, I'm going to upload this and it's going to be this. It's like, no, dude, no dude, one cares. No You're one. like a thousand years old. <laughs> Your dad's like, dead. And he looks younger than you. How who, is this possible? Who cares what other people do? Like, yeah. So one cab driver smoked in the car and you were upset about it. Like, calm down. He's got bro. a hard life, dude. You're rich. <laughs> exactly. Your dad was rich. You're yeah. rich. You spent your early 20s on, oh, I had to work on all in the family. Oh, what a nightmare. Anyway. Yeah. Sorry you <laughs> hung out with Carol Burnett all day. <laughs> but I will also say he Carol is- Carol O'Connor. I will give Rob Ryder credit. He is another one of those people who did grow up in Hollywood royalty and had opportunities, but actually did something with his opportunities. Yeah, exactly. Actually was like, my friend Christopher Guest has a great idea. Let's make this a spinal tap. So he does have some balls. He does have some interesting takes. And I'm sure, as we will find out, a lot of this is spinal tap. I know Reiner directed it, but I can almost feel it. And I've seen some interviews and I listened to the commentary track on spinal tap, but Christopher Guest basically... He didn't direct it, but he wrote it, and he was right next to Reiner the whole time learning how to direct one of these movies, you know, learning how to do it. He had grown up in theater and playing in bands, but he's such a truly amazing artistic talent that he he figured out how to direct movies after he watched someone direct yeah. one. So He watched a guy named Meathead <laughs> make an American <laughs> classic. Yes, yes. All right, but after that, literally the same year, Along with Martin Short, Billy Crystal, and Harry Shearer, Guest was hired as a one-year-only cast member in the 1984-85 season of Saturday Night Live, in which Lorne Michaels left due to contract disputes, which was also the year that um, when Eddie Murphy got there. And then part of the agreement was when Lorne Michaels came back, they were like, oh, yeah, you could fire all these other jackasses, but uh, Eddie Murphy stays. Yeah. (laughs) Also, should be noted, listen to our Eddie Murphy episode. Absolutely. Absolutely. Eddie Murphy is one of the... Great heroes here at Blockbuster Film School, and uh, I think it's a great episode. Yeah. Also, have you seen my new Pluto Nash tattoo? <laughs> uh, I thought it was Metro. I have my Metro tattoo. It just says, Metro is a good movie, like Sug Life over my my stomach. If I knew you were going to get that, I'd get mine. It says, starring, it's co-starring Michael Rappaport. <laughs> and we could stand next to each other and be lonely. We should go on Michael Rappaport's podcast. It's pretty funny. And also, they... He didn't really have any characters on uh, Saturday Night Live that really worked as you would. I don't remember him being on there. That 84-85 season is basically the one that SNL and any of their specials don't really bring up with yeah. the exception of some of uh, Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy. Yeah. <laughs> they, they have And to. a little bit of Billy Crystal because the great thing about Billy Crystal is he had some characters on there. And even though he got kicked off, he came back and hosted a ton of times and did his characters. So you look marvelous, you yeah. know, like those characters all came back and he did those 
when he hosted, because also Billy Crystal's the man. It's Billy fucking Crystal. <laughs> he's literally the man. He really, he's the, for a long time, he was the president of Hollywood. Yeah. And people adored him. And it was one of the great golden ages when he was the president of Hollywood. So in 1986, he had a little role in Little Shop of Horrors. He is just a customer in the store. He's the first customer. He's the very first customer. Yes. That is correct. That is correct. Also, Gina from Martin is one of the singers. Yeah, the, I love her. I love her. I like the Little Shop of Horrors a lot. Tisha Campbell? It is. Yes, yes. Little Shop of Horrors, Roger Corman's most uh, successful movie of all time. But also in 1986, Guest would make his directorial debut with a Hollywood satire coming off of writing for Spinal Tap. He would make a movie called The Big Picture, a satire starring Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. Nick, have you seen The Big Picture? Not in 30 years. Yeah. Same. This is this is what everybody always says, and it's true because Kevin Bacon was in Footloose, Correct. and he was gigantic yeah. to the fact that Star Lord yes. won't shut the fuck about him. <laughs> shut the fuck up about him still. Yes, but then he He's followed it up with, "She's having a baby." He said, "She said." Oof. Let me. Hold it's on. hard to not, say that. He said, "She said." Yes, not a she sure she said. She sells, and then. She shells, <laughs> he says, she said, down by the she shore. By the shore, shore. Shore, it. shore. Nailed it. Down by the Howard shore. <laughs> One of Brian's favorites, least favorite, actually. Uh, anyways, and then the big picture. Three giant flops in a row. Oof. And then he followed up with Tremors. I can tell you, beat for beat, what happens in Tremors. Yeah. I don't remember a goddamn thing about the big picture <laughs> At all. other than the end of the thing. Spoilers. He gets to make his fucking movie, <laughs> jumping through the hoops, and like that's all I remember is him is Kevin Bacon sitting in a directing chair and he like zooms out or something. I don't it's I don't it's crazy. Remember. It's interesting though. I've watched it fairly recently, about 10 years ago, and it's funnier than it has any right to be because it's Christopher Guest, right? Yeah. But it's a satire making fun of Hollywood. You know how much Hollywood loves to advertise for a movie like that. So I think it was doomed to begin with. Mm-hmm. And it also is not the mockumentary thing that he normally does. It's a straight up movie movie. It's kind of meta. It has meta mockumentary stuff in it, but it's kind of goofball. When it came out, it got positive reviews, but literally in some of the reviews, for instance, the New York Times review, the big picture aims at targets that might not be familiar to viewers who aren't well-versed in movie biz chicanery, but hits most of them so solidly that laughter is the only option if you know what they're talking about. And it truly, like, making fun of producers, making fun of Hollywood nonsense, but it's a very inside joke. And so blockbuster film school nerds like yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's but, the whole thing. Like, this, every movie about making movies is for people who want to make movies. Right. It's the most niche thing in the world, but it's also a giant niche because everybody wants to make a movie. I was told at film school by Steve Zacharias, anytime anyone pitched a movie that was about making a movie or about going to film school, he was like, no one wants to see that movie. And I <laughs> I was like, and ever since, it didn't dawn on me until he said that. And then I went back and I was like, yeah, no, nobody really no. wants to see a movie about Making a movie. Like, I mean, I know Truffaut pulled off day for night, but that's not even really about making the movie. That's about tricking these crazy egotistical actors into doing a movie and having to wrangle them into doing it. That's more about these characters' lives than an actual movie. Yeah. One of my favorite movies is Living in Oblivion. Yeah. Which is about making independent films. Mm -hmm. 
which made absolutely no money at the no fucking box office. Money. And I saw this when I was in grade school. It took me fucking 15 years to find anybody else who saw this piece of shit. Let's say this piece of shit. It's not a piece of shit. I love this movie. No, agreed. And I think I would also say of the big flop movie, the big picture is not a piece of shit. It is funny. It's well made. It's well directed. It's well written. But it cost $5 million and its box office was 117000 Yeah. So, ooh, even though your budget is small, that's that's still a big old- terrible. <laughs> the percentage is on the return. To bring up the Amy Heckerling episode, yes. Vamps yeah. <laughs> made more money than the big picture. But- And that played in one theater. That is true. Also, I want to say J.T. Walsh is, and Jennifer Jason Lee, also RIP to J.T. Walsh. I didn't realize he died in like 1998. I didn't realize J.T. Walsh has been dead since- yeah. If you don't remember, J.T. Walsh was like an ultimate character actor who was in A Few Good Men and Good Morning Vietnam and Hoffa. And you, if you look him up, just Google him. You'll be you'll like, know oh, exactly that, who that is. guy. Yeah. It's, it's, I think he died. This guy. I think he died before Breakdown even came out. Yeah. Yeah. He's been dead for 24 yeah. years. So. <laughs> um, Am I the only one here who's been going to the J.T. Walsh memorials every year? <laughs> I, I feel a little let down by you guys. <laughs> you dress up as your favorite JT Walsh character. I just wear a lot of denim and everybody just you wear knows. A, a white naval uniform. I will say this. You do see that as we were talking about his thing, much like Spinal Tap, is an inside joke, right? And when it's something about that rock and rollers are insane and egotistical and maybe stupid, that that's an inside joke that a lot of people can kind of get behind. Yeah. And later we'll get into some other topics that he has an inside joke about, like say a dog show and how that might be funny, you know, and how a lot of people are like, I kind of want to laugh at some of the shit going on, but I'm also interested to see who wins. You know, it's the, and it's a more accessible thing than. Especially when it's a mockumentary and not a straight satire. Agreed. When you have the mockumentary, you can explain the inside joke and then just show it over and over again. Correct. But if you have a satire, it's like, <laughs> rewrites. Am I right, fellas? <laughs> that crazy guy is yelling at everyone and sexually harassing people. It's, we get it. You're making fun of that. But to the people who don't know, they're like, well, this is weird. I don't yeah. want to watch this. But after that, though, he gets another big breakout. So in 1987, guest starred in The Princess Bride. Another Rob Reiner film. He appeared as the Count Rugen, the six-fingered man in The Princess Bride. Any thoughts on The Princess Bride, Nick? I think it's a great movie. I like the fact that his character killed Harrison Ford's wife. That <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. But I do like that he's such a crazy bad guy. He's a great bad guy, which is very surprising considering that he's always like such a nice, aloof guy. Yeah. Like, his character from Waiting for Guffman is the most, like... Corky? Corky, man. <laughs> You're all bastard people. Yeah. Bastard people. That guy's out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I like the Count Rugen a lot. As He's a great. Kid. And also... There are as, no bad characters in this movie. No, that's very true. And I think, as we were talking about, he has a bad Prince Valiant haircut, is an aloof, evil, noble... <laughs> It's almost as if he maybe grew up around some nobles yeah. and maybe knew some who were, who were kind of aloof and slightly evil and based it around someone. I don't know if he did, but it's very realistic. I have this weird feeling that maybe <laughs> maybe he did. Also, good on Rob Reiner to back-to-back make This is Spinal Tap and Princess Bride yeah. and just 
damn. And then when Harry met Sally, yeah. a few good men. Running the 80s and the early 90s. He had, a, like, literally until the joke I made earlier, when he hit North, it's like, yeah. God damn. damn it, dude. <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? Cocaine initially gives you good ideas, but eventually you hit a wall. I think his sobriety is what yeah, ruined I think, him. Yeah. Oh, interesting. He was like, yeah. oh, that's, cr- that's interesting. He was Aerosmith on heroin. <laughs> Let's get Aerosmith and Rob Reiner back on drugs. Actually, fuck Aerosmith. They're all, a bunch gra- of, they're all a bunch of fucking Republicans. Who's that grandma up there singing? Oh, wait, that's, that's Steven Tyler. That's Steven Tyler. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I love The Princess Bride. We could, you know, continue to talk about it. But it's interesting also because he's playing such a unique character. And once again, he's in an ensemble movie with interesting ensemble dynamics. It's not anything like his mockumentaries, but it does have a very different edge and take on a story that was a classic, you know, a swashbuckling fantasy story about a princess who needs to be rescued. And they brought this very funny 80s comedic sensibility to the whole thing that added this really cool edge to it. And I guarantee Guest was a part of that. Guest was involved in the writing of it. And I think it stands out because Christopher Guest is a goddamn national treasure. After it, he starts to really mess around with improving again. And he goes into a lot more improvisational films. He goes into a lot more things that are kind of different ideas. As an actor, he's in some bigger movies, a la A Few Good Men in 1992. Who directed uh, that? Uh, a Few Good Men might be a movie directed by Rob Reiner. Yeah, that's why he was in it. But also, I think that's Aaron Sorkin's first, one of his first movies. That was still when he was a playwright, and that got turned into a movie. Not a huge fan. Uh, same thing, I'm, I like The Social Network a lot. I like when he works with David Fincher. I don't like that I said it, but I'm not going to retract it. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, I think he's, he's truly a writer in my mind. I think when he works with really good directors, the shit is badass. When he works with bad directors, the writing becomes dumb. Yeah. I don't know. Or when he works with himself. Well, that's, uh, I said bad directors. Um, so, Hey-o. hey, he also was a voice in Small Soldiers, but that's a little later because in 1996, he really hits a stride. Uh, we've referenced it. He makes a mockumentary written by himself and his very good friend and co-partner, co-pilot Eugene Levy. Also a little bit of a flop at the box office, but as we know now, a it's huge, 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 uh, cult movie. Absolutely. You yeah. can see this. At most theaters at midnight, at least once a year. That is true. It is a movie called The Good Theaters. (laughs) It is a movie called Waiting for Guffman, starring guests Levy, Catherine O'Hara, Fred Willard, and Parker Posey, which are the Beatles of the Christopher Guest universe. And it is about a man who is making a local theater play, and he catches wind that maybe through his weird old connections back in off, off, off Broadway, that a theatrical producer from Broadway is coming to Blaine, Missouri, where they are, to see their original musical that they are putting on in Blaine, Missouri. His name is Guffman, and if he sees their musical, very possibly, they could all go to Broadway. It's preposterously stupid, but is a true mockumentary in which so much would be stolen from it. There's interviews to the camera, which there's a little bit in that in Spinal Tap, but this is where it really starts to begin with everything from The Office and all those NBC shows. So much mockumentary stuff is stolen directly from Waiting for Guffin. Fuck you, Michael Scott. <laughs> Nick, 
What do you think about Waiting for Guffman? I adore this movie. <laughs> it is perfect. Yes. I remember this came out, what, 96? 1996. I was 13. I could not wait to see this fucking movie. I'm uh, pretty sure I rented it, and then I got equally as excited when it came out on this weird Monday night thing on Showtime called Sundance on Showtime because my parents could afford Showtime because it was like $2 a month. But they couldn't <laughs> afford Sundance Channel because they actually wanted money because they were showing all these indie movies. And it's like, well, you know, we, we don't have any fucking we money. We for that. We don't have money for independent movies. Exactly. So once oh, a month. Oh, Sheedy's girlfriend's breaking up with her again. Sorry. First, hey, fuck you. Anyways, I love, I love high art. Anyways. I like high art too. I just, yeah. all the it's high so art. so depressing. I love it. But every Monday they would show Sundance on Showtime and they showed this, Heart 8, The Day Trippers, a lot oh, yeah. of good fucking movies. Yes. And I can't think about Waiting for Gotham without smiling and laughing. It is just beyond anything else. You care about every character in there. Parker Posey staring off in the distance, just chewing gum. is like a weird... Working at the Dairy Queen. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think about that at work all the fucking time. I love Parker Posey, and particularly when she's in Christopher Guest movies. She's magnificent. Yeah. She steals everyone that she's in. Also, Bob Balaban, I should bring him up. Bob Balaban's great. He's also another member of the Christopher Guest gang who is insanely funny. Eugene Levy plays a tragically square dentist determined to discover his inner entertainer. He has two left feet. He has literally two left feet, which is pandemonium. I feel like his version of Corky, although he is an effeminate man, that is not the joke. The joke is that he is a man who is so believes in his own destiny and his own artistic ability, even though he has none. It is the most insane thing. This is most of my life where I'm like, just sitting there. Like, I walk off stage after some terrible poetry reading, and there's, like, four people there. I bomb so hard. I'm like, am I quirky? Should I cancel next month? <laughs> the meltdown scene is maybe my favorite gag. Yeah. And is the, I referenced it before, but you're bastard people. You're, you're bastard, bastard people. people. I'm going to go and bite my pillow. I'll do it. I'll do it. Like, also, I was in local theater as a teenager. I was in high school theater, and the sort of local directors having meltdowns about arbitrarily bad local theater is one of those things where you you know this person is having a nightmare emotionally, but you have to try to not laugh at them because this shit is next level. Yeah. (laughs) You're having a meltdown over this production of Romeo and Juliet. Okay. It's the old saying, (laughs) act locally, think globally. (laughs) It's so true. So it's like, you know, also, uh, the, him and the Spinal Tap guys did get together to write all of the songs. Yeah. Such as Nothing Ever Happens on Mars. Because the, the musical they make is called Red, White, and Blaine. Do you get it? About Blaine, Missouri. The history of Blaine, Missouri, which I love, where the founder of Blaine, Missouri was too stupid to know what was going on. And he claimed they were in California, even though they were in Missouri. <laughs> and then a UFO came at some point in the 1960s. This is part of the history of Blaine. Yeah. And... The fact that if you don't know what Waiting for Godot is, it is a Samuel Beckett play in which all the characters are waiting for a character to show up who never shows up. And it creates this very strange tension in the entire play. But it's also an insane, absurdist comedy where everyone starts to lose their mind because this person isn't showing up. And they take that and turn it into a crazy mockumentary in which, uh, spoiler alert, 
Um, he doesn't show. <laughs> Guffman does not show. But the up. show, the play is a big hit. That's what I'm talking about. Yes. Like, yes. Everybody who sees the play, they love it. Mm-hmm. And even though Guffman doesn't show up, they achieve their dreams as locally and as minor as it is. And they prove to themselves they can do it. Correct. It's the little victories in all of his movies. Absolutely. And everyone in the town liked the movie. Exactly. The, the play. The play. So, so the local heroes. So you go back to the Dairy Queen, back to DQ. <laughs> but it's like, hey, yeah. you're in that play. And you're a local star now. Yeah. And also, David Cross is in this a little bit. And he plays the oh, UFO yeah. expert who was abducted by aliens <laughs> and talks about when his butt goes numb, depending on where he stands in the crop circle. <laughs> also, Brian Doyle Murray is the weird father who makes Johnny quit the show. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. It's such a, and we should say a lot of this stuff is improvisational and they talk about it in this particularly him and Levy, obviously Levy and Catherine O'Hara and a lot of these people coming from second city and truly coming from improv and them just saying that, you know, they would have objectives in mind of what they wanted from the scene. And then they would just go yeah. into it and it adds this electricity to it because everyone's so good and they're so amazing at coming up with hilarious shit, but it's off the cuff and it's organic. It forms itself. And I think it's part of why people still to this day watch waiting for Guffman. And also I will say, I was basically, I had a very good friend of mine in high school, so it was not that long after, but shout out to Will Davis, but he was the one who we would talk about stuff and movies and our senses of humor, and he basically was like, wait, you don't know who Christopher Guest is? And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, and we would just sit there and watch Spinal, he was like, you you have to see this and this, like. Wait, Will Davis with the glass eye? <laughs> he does have glasses. I was going to say, if you, oh. <laughs> yes, no, everyone's got glasses. I know, but he he would find his prescription in thrift stores and wear very old school. Sometimes he'd wear like old lady f- weird framed glasses to high school. He was one of these guys. I like Just, this guy. Yeah, he was. Dude, Will Davis was very fun. Still is very fun. So that's a big hit. Any other takes on Waiting for Guffman? If you haven't seen Waiting for Guffman, I think I recommended it in one of our um, office hours. I'm going to do it again. It's going to be on my wall. Yeah. I don't think there's really a dumpster for this episode. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll I mean, see well, we the next there. movie, but the next movie is kind of tragic. He, he didn't direct it either. He did. In 1998. Oh, you're right. He, Anyways, I spoke too soon. <laughs> in 1998, he directs a movie that maybe could have been good, but Mr. Chris Farley was in the throes of maniac addiction and was on his way out. And it is a movie, an adventure comedy Western with Chandler from Friends. It's called Almost Heroes. It was directed by Christopher Guest. It was narrated by Harry Scherr. He didn't write it, but he did direct it. And it was written by a guy named Mark Nutter. That's correct. That is his name. Mark Nutter. Has Eugene Levy in it. Got Uh, Bokeem in it. Got a lot of good actors in it. It really does. And also, I'm not going to lie, I remember renting it and Almost Heroes, I laughed out loud at a couple of times. But even though he's like out and you can tell and his eyes are saggy and you're worried about Chris Farley, he delivers some stunts and nonsense in that movie that are why he was such a grand champion of comedy. There are terrible movies that Chris Farley was in, a la Beverly Hills Ninja, but because he's Chris Farley you end up laughing at them because he was a genius and it's a mega bummer. Any takes on almost heroes, Nick? 
No, I never finished it. And <laughs> I honestly, I have more memories from blacking out at Pitchfork <laughs> Festival than I do of this movie. I just remember Farley falling off of horses a bunch. And that could have been any movies. Then. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it didn't go great. It was a $30 million budget and it made $6 million. But Yeesh. to be fair, I think the studio kind of gave him a pass because Farley like died while they were making it. And it's the whole thing was a bummer to everybody when they brought it out. He died five months before it came out. So I think they were, they'd already made they it do reshoots. Right. Because right. And went all Belushi and everybody. Well, that's also, and that it was a, a very weird production that didn't go great as you can imagine. And also uh, Chandler, you know, I mean, Chandler from friends, Matthew Perry, just a huge box office star. Just, I actually like Matthew Perry, but he shouldn't be in movies. He as a side character, though, he's not going to be the second guy, you know, with his name at the top of the poster. It's not going to bring in the audience, but I like him as playing side characters and stuff. I think I would hire him as the lawyer from Heat or something, you know, as just being a weird character in a movie. You know, he's. He's Matthew Perry. He is kind of interesting. I don't know. It's not the Matthew Perry episode. But in 1998, he also is a voice in Small Soldiers, the Joe Dante movie, which I have a very big soft spot for. But the bigger thing is in the year 2000, he comes back. Now there's starting to be fans of Christopher Guest and his mockumentaries. Now there's starting to be an upsurge, even in Hollywood, of people who just want to see more of his movies. And in 2000, he once again writes a movie with Eugene Levy. And directs it. It is called Best in Show. It follows five entrants in a prestigious dog show and focuses on the slightly surreal interactions among the various owners and handlers. Nick, what is your take on Best in Show? It's fucking hilarious. It's fucking hilarious. It's hilarious. It's amazing. I. They're not the Beatles. They're a jam band because the Beatles. Because let's, let's <laughs> You're kind of right. Yeah, Ringo grateful, Starr. The Grateful Dead could not do anything that somebody didn't teach him, even on songs he wrote. <laughs> I resent that. Uh, Shut up, Ringo. Who taught him that word? <laughs> Anyways, no, like, these are all the same people. Mm-hmm. It's the same fucking cast. Plus some, some new ones. Plus some new ones. But in no way do you watch this and think about waiting for Guffin. No. And when they go on to the next one, you don't think about the, the two before. Sure. Like, yeah. they just go on stage. They turn the Mars Volta. You wonder how many <laughs> of them are still on heroin. Like, why do I care? This song's been playing for 35 minutes. I'm like, it's captivating. Oh, and they're hilarious. They're absolutely, they get so deep into these characters. Yes. It's like at any second, you're going to find out that they died during production <laughs> because the fucking Olsen twins gave them a bunch of pills. <laughs> that is totally true. Also, the only person in my mind, I mean, they all do, but the stuff that Parker Posey does when she reinvents herself for Christopher Guest movies yeah. is amazing yes and her as the banged psychotic dog owner love it with her cuck husband who the get the buzzy bee get the buzzy the they are obsessed with the ll bean catalog i was blown away and then jane lynch is here all of a sudden jane lynch michael mckeon (laughs) oh yes john michael higgins oh they are amazing in this yes I mean, Catherine O'Hara also steals the show. Yeah. Her and Eugene Levy. Yes. Are the heroes. Straight through all yes. every time. Yes. Just perfect. Yes. I mean, Eugene Levy has to kind of play himself because he's Eugene Levy. That's, but he's a, he's a masterclass in playing himself. He is 
Eugene Levy. And Eugene Levy is the abbot to Catherine Harris Costello. And she is the crazy mega comedic thing. And he is the straight man. That's his role. He does it amazingly. He volleys it up and then someone else spikes the ball down. He doesn't get as much probably praise as he should. He writes a lot of this stuff. I He's Scotty Pippen. He really is. He really People is. People love Scotty Pippen. That is true. People love Eugene Levy. I mean. Oh, I love Eugene Levy. His stuff is amazing. Eugene Levy's got me through some really, really <laughs> dark times. <laughs> yeah, John Michael Higgins. Oh, man. And Bob Balaban again. Fred Willard. Ed Begley Jr. coming into this, who, if you don't know who Ed Begley Jr. is, do yourself a favor. The guy is... Everybody knows who Ed Begley Jr. is. <laughs> Nobody knows his name for sure. <laughs> he's, he's just that weirdo that goes around talking about his Prius. <laughs> he's amazing. I mean, he's... And then he was running around for years and years as, like, a serious actor. He's one of those guys before he became a, you know, a comedic Christopher Guest weirdo actor. I love him in Party Down, the episode he's in in Party Down. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> he smokes weed with Jane Lynch. You said I was the only person you were allowed to go up there? <laughs> it's like, oh, Tom, Mike, Scott. <laughs> also, though, this piece of trivia on imbd.com right now says, years before the movie began, Christopher Guest just wrote down the words catalog people on a piece of paper, <laughs> and that's how uh, Parker Posey's characters came to be. Also, he plays a character, Harlan Pepper, who is a North Carolina man who has a bloodhound. And his version of North Carolina man is something that I have always enjoyed because it is strangely correct. And when he starts making his dog's face move, like, oh, Harlan, I sometimes don't want to do that. And I, I was like, this is people I know. This is the creepiest shit. We should also say RIP Castle Rock Entertainment, which let them make this. But gloriously... Best in show after the buildup of years. It's not insane. Budget 10 million, box office 21 million. There we go. So people are starting to be like, this is what's up. I will go see this. And I rented it from Blockbuster as soon as it was on the wall. I did not go see it in the theater because I think at the time I lived in North Carolina. And at the time, their independent cinema was trash or smaller cinema. I suppose I should say Castle Rock is kind of big and then distributed by Warner Brothers. So it's not exactly mega indie, but it is not something that was shown instead of the new Mission Impossible movie at the local AMC. But you could get into Blockbuster and I adored it. And I don't want to spoil anything about it, but also there's genuine heart in Christopher Guest movies, yes, that you truly feel for some of these characters. Not all of them. Some of them are unrepentant assholes, and that's part of the fun, part of the insanity. Some of them are just complete maniacs. Like, and I can't remember her name, but Jane Lynch's wife, who's that woman who's in Jennifer Coolidge, yeah, who I love, and is just this loves to play these characters who are just airheaded possible sociopaths who are fun, but maybe a slightly evil, but. The character that Catherine O'Hara plays in it is once again one of my favorites. When they go to her ex-boyfriend's house and her ex-boyfriend brings up all the times that they had sex and Eugene Levy is just sitting there like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yep. Yep. And you remember on the roller coaster? Oh, I remember on the roller coaster. <laughs> Some of the weirdest but most endearing shit I've ever seen in which 
then the ex-boyfriend is like, well, what's up? She's like, no, I'm, I'm with Eugene Levy now. And I was like, this is amazing. This is such a great thing. And I don't want to spoil it as to who wins the dog show if you've never seen it. But I love that they set that up too. It's a great way to write a movie because if you set something up that has a game in it, then you already have a plot. Yeah. You have to know who wins the game, you know, and everyone's battling over it and it's already got set up drama and who's like will, a little big league. Yes. Who will be best in show, you know, like uh, the running man. Will he survive and kill Richard Dawson for kissing all those women? The answer is yes. All right, so Christopher Guest is now truly making Christopher Guest movies that are making money, and they are mockumentaries, and this will change. It will change Hollywood. It will change TV shows. But he follows it up three years later in 2003 with another directed, written with Eugene Levy, composed by Christopher Guest, truly a mockumentary musical called A Mighty Wind about folk musicians that have kind of separated. They were once part of the 1960s folk scene and they've all separated in their lives, have sometimes gone up, sometimes gone down, but they're all being brought together now 30, 40 years later to have a kind of reunion show. And what's your take on A Mighty Wind, Nick? I hate folk music. <laughs> I fucking hate it. In the beginning of this episode, I said, fuck Arthur Guthrie. Arlo Guthrie. Uh, whatever. Fuck him. <laughs> fuck his grandpa. Oh, I don't care about any of these assholes. My least favorite part of No Direction Home is the fact that Joan Baez is the only person who sits in her chair at her house and breaks out her guitar and holds it the wrong way and sings her stupid song. With all that up front... This secretly might be my favorite Christopher Guest oh. movie just because of Eugene Levy's character and his story arc and the end of it and everything. Like, God damn it. Yes. Yes. Powerful. Powerful. Playing the straight man, but also probably the funniest out of all that he's did, but it's also the most heart, the most tragic. And it's just like, fuck, dude. Yeah. And it was the one that finally got them noticed by, like, the Academy Awards and the Golden Globes. Michael McKean and Ned O'Toole got nominated for Best Original Song. They got to play at the Oscars. It got nominated for Best Picture for Golden Globe. It didn't get nominated for Best Picture for Academy. But still, people yeah. were, this is a comedy. This is a mockumentary comedy that is now the taste of Hollywood because Christopher Guest stuck with it and was like, I know that. Waiting for Guffman didn't make any money, but I think this shit is the best. And I yeah. think people want to see this more than they even understand. Also, by the time this movie came out, I guarantee Waiting for Guffman made triple its budget. Oh, just yeah. in video and like midnight shows. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was already a big hit by that point. Yeah. It's why it's also why his movies take a few years <laughs> apart from each other is because he needs a groundswell to kind of happen. There isn't just producers beating down his door it's more the groundswell happens everyone keeps talking about these movies and then he goes to another producer and they're like yeah okay all right but i mean percentage wise this was a big hit the budget was six million dollars and it made 20 yeah. you know so in the box office once again big rentals with the academy award stuff i rented it from blockbuster i mean it's got that element and i worked at blockbuster and it was out absolutely people fucking could we couldn't keep it on the shelf it's amazing. The Folksman, the main New Street Singers, and Mitch and Mickey. <laughs> the Folksman trio, Mark Shubb, Harry Shearer, 
Alan Barrows, Christopher Guest, and Jerry Poulter, Michael McKeon, a.k.a. Spinal Tap, yeah. as a folk band is... Well, that's their gag. They've yes. been doing that since Saturday Night Live. Uh, they yeah. appear in Spinal Tap. This is an actual reunion. Yes. Also, the fact that he jumped on that gag where it's like, oh, it's the reunion thing, blah, blah, <laughs> blah. It's, you know, all these people reuniting at Riot Fest and the replacements and all this other bullshit. <laughs> He called out for it. I'm not. Gonna, I hey, I saw the replacements. I love the replacements, but yes, I yeah. know the, the the concept yeah. of it. The, this, you know, let's get everybody back together so they can make some money because they got alimony payments. Exactly. <laughs> I get it. And uh, the new Main Street singers with Parker Posey as a former child, literally child criminal, who now is the lead singer. It's a movie that I could watch over and over again. Yeah. This is. And also because of the way the mockumentaries are structured, where everything is just nonsense and you always can get something new from it because it's so improvisational and because there's so many characters and there's so many moving pieces, you're never going to really intake all of it. You're going to find different pieces you like at different parts of your life. It's that well-made. It's that well-written. The songs are good. It's an amazing piece of art. And also, uh, it's folk music, so they can go fuck themselves. Okay, so he has one more uh, really great movie under his belt. He does some other acting within it. He's in Mrs. Henderson Presents, once again, wonky title. But Stephen Frears and uh, Bob Hoskins, Judy Dench. If you've never seen that, it's actually kind of a fun movie. It really is. But in 2006... Maybe my favorite. He decides to buck trends and why this is a little bit of an interesting full circle. So he makes that Kevin Bacon movie about Hollywood. Nobody likes it. He learns a valuable lesson. But in 2006, he makes a movie called For Your Consideration, in which a struggling, weird indie movie catches wind that they might get nominated for an Oscar. And so they then start to pervert and change everything about themselves in order to desperately win an Oscar. And there's all this Entertainment Tonight bullshit and all this Hollywood glitz bullshit and everyone acting like a complete moron. And it is a mockumentary again. It's him and Eugene Levy writing it. It's the regular gang of maniacs. All, you know, the the regular crew, Bob Balaban, Jennifer Coolidge, John Michael Higgins, Jane Lynch, Michael McKeon, Catherine O'Hara, Harry Shearer, Fred Willard, and my personal favorite in this. I know I keep bringing her up, but Parker Posey in this movie, Parker Posey's turn from just a nice character actor to catching wind that she might be nominated for Academy Award and turning in to a monster. And then, spoiler alert, she does not win the Oscar. No. Loses her mind and then starts a one-woman show, which... I can never find just a clip of the one woman show. It is my favorite. I just had to bring it up funniest thing that I think is in any Christopher guest stuff. I do it. No justice. It is basically her doing John Leguizamo's freak or whatever. <laughs> She's talking about her life, but then also doing terrible accents. It is where Deandra Reynolds from. It's always in Philadelphia comes from. It is amazing. I don't know. What are you, what's your take on uh, for your consideration, Nick? For Your Consideration is the one I've seen the least. Mm. I saw it twice on Mushrooms, whatever that is worth. 
2006 is a very blurry year, but uh, <laughs> it's hilarious. Parker Posey steals this movie. Yes. I don't like it as much as the other ones. I think it's equally as funny, but the fact that they're actors kind of takes away from the down home localized shit. I agree. And it also was not as financially successful. Yeah. Although Ricky Gervais did talk about him. Stephen Merchant talked about how when they, it was basically where the office gestated, you know, they had already been kind of thinking about it and they thought it was the funniest thing that ever fucking seen. And they were like, well, if we just position this slightly differently, in say a scenario that everyone could understand, like working in a shitty office with a pompous moronic boss, people will relate to this. And I don't know if you guys have heard, but the office, both the English one and the American one, small hits, maybe just, just slight, slight hits, not across the board, changing everything about television comedy in any way. And I know what you're saying. And for your consideration, you know what's It's the only one I saw in the theater. <laughs> so, Okay. I finally, by that point, was like, I'm going to see the new Christopher Guest movie in the theater. And I went and saw it here in Chicago, and I, I loved it. I thought it was amazing, but there weren't that many people in the theater. I will say that. Yeah. But everyone was laughing their balls off who was there. And I understand what you're saying, that, that it is oftentimes a lot of people's least watched one of them, except for the one we're going to bring up next. But <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's the one that people just haven't seen. <laughs> Doesn't exist. Yeah, I mean, this is the least watched one I've watched out of the like collection. Yeah, the great. But ones. when you don't watch an entire movie, <laughs> that is also hard to do. Yeah, uh, I I just have to defend for your consideration. Fred Willard has a faux hawk in it. What happened? He used to have a show that was called What Happened. It's, <laughs> but now he's on Entertainment Tonight. Jane Lynch at her most bizarrely Machiavellian. The movie was called Home for Putum, right? Yeah. And then because it was too Jewy, they started calling it Home for Thanksgiving. And then, <laughs> and then by the end, it's called something like Retribution or something. <laughs> because they they literally are eaten by Hollywood. Yeah. And he makes a movie about how people are eaten by Hollywood and spit out. And it's still hilarious. Yeah. No, this is way better than um, <laughs> the big picture. No, absolutely. Absolutely. These people needed to get eaten up and spit out. They yeah. needed this. They. It's tragic to some of them. I mean, what happens to Catherine O'Hara is nightmarish, where she turns into a plastic surgery monster. But most people just end up with something different. But it's a wild, wild thing. I don't know. Any other takes on... For your consideration, Nick? Four caps, five stems. <laughs> That's how much you need? Yeah. Got it. Fair enough. I would say just, you know, smoking a bowl and watching it is just having a few beers. It's I, this is the thing, though. I've never done that. <laughs> I've seen this movie once sober and twice on mushrooms. Mm. So I could only, the first time was half the bag. <laughs> so it was like, we got to rewatch it. It's like, well, we still got some mushrooms. Mm-hmm. The tragic thing, though, is that after 2006, for your consideration, there is not a lot of Christopher Guest directing. Uh, the Family Tree. He directed all eight episodes. Yeah. The HBO show, Chris O'Dowd. Definitely some TV stuff. That is Laid worth out. Yes. everyone's time. It is another mockumentary thing. It is so goddamn embarrassing to watch. It's, it's, <laughs> it's cringe, but it's not like cringe where it's like, 
when you watch The Office, like, oh, this is uncomfortable. It's like, right. oh, man, keep going. Right. It's like BDSM cringe. Yes. You just want to keep, like, Chris O'Dowd basically goes from Ireland to America to meet, like, family and shit. And <laughs> An Irishman humiliating himself? Go figure. <laughs> it's great. It's a great show. Family tree. I'm not going to lie. I didn't finish the whole series. Mm. I had, like, things to do the last night. But whatever. <laughs> like, watch it. It's great. Fair, fair. Yeah, he does a lot of TV stuff. We should say that he used to write for The Simpsons. He used to write for Animaniacs. He used to write for SpongeBob SquarePants. That Christopher Guest is a unsung hero of writing in Hollywood that if you want something funny, something weird, something cerebral, something with some heart, you get Christopher Guest to do it because he's amazing at it. And maybe you want a song or something, he'll come up with that. He's a phenom at those kinds of things. He is in Night at the Museum, Battle of the Smithsonian, which I know you're a big fan of, where he is Ivan the Terrible. <laughs> Have you ever seen any of the Night of the Museum movies? Uh, no. Yeah, they're real bad. But I do occasionally force myself to watch real bad things, and I heard that he was in this one, and I watched... More than I should have. Are those both directed by Christopher Columbus? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Also, I think they may have killed Robin Williams. I'm almost positive. He's in The Invention of Lying with his buddy, Ricky Gervais, who directed it. And Ricky Gervais has openly gushed about how much he thinks Christopher Guest is a genius and that Christopher Guest is the whole reason he does any, you know what I'm saying? That he gave him the idea, he gave that he gave him an avenue to do what he does, that there would be no Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant unless Christopher Guest had opened a door so that that style of comedy could exist. And then in 2016, Netflix does make another mockumentary with him with a lot of his regular crew called Mascots, which I watched some of and then fell asleep. I watched none of. Yes. And then fell asleep. I was very, I was hoping, you know, because it had been 10 years since there was a Christopher Guest movie. and It was about mascots, but it didn't really have the same sort of point or heart, you know, that the other stuff did. Also, like, it's run its course, man. Yeah. Well, so it's good and bad. Almost truly the genre that he created or at least really brought into the mainstream then got taken and turned into The Office and Parks yeah. and Rec. And, you know, it got turned into all of these different comedies. It got turned into all these different movies. You know, he created prog rock and there were other prog rock bands that outshadowed him. Also, as Super Producer Brian Tefts brought up, he is worth $60 million. He is a British lord. He is married to Jamie Lee Curtis. He may have just decided he didn't give a shit anymore. And He's also 71, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So it, even in 2016, he was in his mid-50s, you know, so he may have just been kind of looking to retire a little bit, you know, and uh, and just rule over his vassals, you know, just. So you brought up Ricky Gervais, and I, wanna, I just want to mention something real quickly. Mm-hmm. I like folk music more than I like Ricky Gervais. Oh, come now. He's the only one who openly makes fun of Scientologists at the Golden Globes. <laughs> That's not enough. <laughs> I Okay, fair, fair. People, Some people like Ricky Gervais. I like the British office. I think Ricky Gervais' writing is very funny. I find him very interesting when he does interviews and stuff, but I understand some of his movies are very blowhard. I don't think they're great. And his comedy. Ricky Gervais turned into, like, when rappers get famous and then mm. just 
all their music's about being famous. Correct. Like go back to stuff, you know? Yes, I agree. I think it's better when he's forced into some sort of thing where he's just a funny guy and he's not doing any of his inside of his head philosophy bullshit. He's just being amusing when he was on Conan O'Brien's podcast and he was just telling stories about him and David Bowie getting drunk and him literally writing emails to David Bowie's mom and saying, because he'd become friends with him saying, you know, David's 51 years old this year. Maybe he should get a real job. <laughs> Signed, Ricky Gervais. <laughs> I, it's very British. I don't know. I find it music. But we're not here to talk about Ricky Gervais because Christopher Guest is the man. But that is kind of the end of the Christopher Guest filmography. He now is just a handsome rich man who was in Spinal Tap and was also in Jamie the Curtis. So do you want to do a dumpster, Nick? We got any dumpster picks? Uh, I feel like it's shooting fish in a barrel. Yeah, almost heroes. And then you're just sad because Chris Farley died. I mean, <laughs> I'm not that sad. But it also is kind of screwed up because just when Christopher Guest kept getting a shot to become more of a mainstream Hollywood director to direct, you know, mainstream comedies with big comedy stars. It He's seems a big old fat heroin addict. Yeah, star-crossed, you know? It, the Kevin Bacon movie doesn't work, you know? And then it takes years for him to get that clout back. And then Farley dies, you know? And, ugh, and then it takes years for him to get that clout back. And then, you know, it his just... life is fine. No, I agree. I'm just saying of, of his career. I'm very curious, though, if he would have been allowed to make you know, some mainstream comedies and become kind of more of like an Adam McKay type character. I don't know. I don't know if he would have. I don't, re- I don't think that would have worked. Hmm, interesting. I think he figured out what he did best. Yeah. And then when it ran its course, he was just like, fuck it. I'll make a I'm London Wainwright fucking documentary. Yeah, you're totally right. You're totally right. Any other final takes of the thing before we go to the wall, Nick? No. All right. I think it might be time for. It's time for the Blockbuster Film School Wall! All right, so why don't you kick us off there, sir? What's your what's your number three for Mr. Christopher Hayden Guest, the Baron Harkonnen, Lord Arcade, blah, blah? Yes. Number three is going to be Spinal Tap. Uh, oh, wow. I thought that'd be... Higher on the list. No, because, oh man, I guess I'm getting older. His other movies have more heart mm. and I care more about the characters. Agreed. Spinal Tap is just pure laughing at these people. <laughs> True. Because they deserve it. They're they a fucking do. bunch of assholes. <laughs> Fuck them. Who gives a shit? But when you get to laugh at the characters and feel for them yeah. and hope they get to do whatever, mm. and you hope that those bastard people <laughs> get what they deserve. You get more out of it. That is true. But for just pure laughing my tits off, <laughs> Spinal Tap. And also, like I said, I grew up watching it. It's a big deal in my house. Yeah. My dad loves it. And when my mom has to hear it or see it, she just goes, again. <laughs> and her delivery is perfect every time. <laughs> Smell the glove. All right. So when that album comes out and it says Smell the Glove, yeah. I... I started crying. I started crying for laughter. I was like, that's impossible. It's impossible that they nailed the insanity of rock and roll in one moment. Also, though, just real fast, the review for Shark Sandwich just simply said, shit sandwich. (laughs) It's not very nice, is it? Yeah. Uh, My number three, I think, is Waiting for Guffman. It is amazing. 
but it is also the first one. The only knock on it is that the production value, they're making it by the seat of their pants, but that kind of works. And occasionally some of those songs get kind of annoying, but the rest of it is so on beat, on point, hilarious. As you can notice, like, I think they even knew that some of the songs were kind of annoying. And then when they made a mighty win, they were like, these songs have to be good too. And we didn't do enough yeah. time. We improv these songs. We should write the fucking songs next time. But also it's local theater. It has to be. Amazing. It has to suck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's true too. If they came out and these songs were just fucking gangbusters, like, oh, this movie's bullshit. <laughs> also fucking nowhere, Missouri. Fucking no, like. Who thinks of the, the doing local theater in bullshit Missouri and these characters? You're totally right. The heart of it, like that this guy gave these people hope. And yeah. When they literally thought their lives were just trash and it's just a stupid play, but he got them to believe in it. And granted their hopes were dashed, but they still had some sense of self-worth because yeah. of it. It's such a great. They accomplished something. They accomplished something. Very good call. Very good call. What's your number two? Uh, even though I said everything I said, I still think number two is going to be a mighty wind. Oh man. You know what? I will just, cause I think we can do this. Like a mighty wind is my four and it's, it's spinal tap is my two. So of just the alternating, but I love a mighty wind as well. It's, yeah. It's like I said, this is until Shit's Creek came out. Mm-hmm. This was my favorite Eugene Levy <laughs> acting just those fucking wide eyes and that hair. <laughs> he just delivers it. And he could have gone over the top. Mm-hmm. He could have been too much with it. You see him holding back oh. a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And then when he gets that redemption at the end, and it's fucking fantastic. It's amazing. And with that, those songs, they're so heartfelt and they're so good and they're so well-performed. And I know that part of it is comedic watching them perform it, but that they in the character there you see so much happening yeah. that it means so much to these characters and it's kind of pathetic and hilarious that it means so much to these characters but that's the magic of it it's that's folk music it's, it's pathetic <laughs> that, and also there's folk spinal tap there's yeah. folk spinal tap people parker posey learned how to play the mandolin first. oh my god that's amazing that is amazing what is your number one waiting for guffman yes it's yes. It is <laughs> the launch pad yes. for all of it. And also, like you said, the production value. I My whole life has been chasing that independent <laughs> 90s bullshit that never really existed. And this totally encapsulates it. Oh, man, I've watched this movie on YouTube because yeah. I couldn't find it anywhere. And it looked even worse than when I saw it on Showtime. <laughs> Think about that for a fucking second. I was I like, know. oh, this looks great. I had a DVD of it that I was carrying around for years. So did I. Also, his hair, we didn't mention, but... It's a fucking atrocious. The fact that Christopher Guest is always willing to just bring the craziest, funniest haircut to himself. If you don't know, Corky is wearing a bowl cut. A full, a salt and pepper aging man bowl cut. That's the other thing. He inspired Kim (laughs) Jong-un. I don't know which one, but but he did. He did. He did. It's amazing. My number one is for your consideration. I adore that movie. I watch it a lot. And like I said, Parker Posey, in that movie is a revelation. Fred Willard, Eugene Levy. I mean, everyone is a complete maniac. Bob Balaban in that movie, mm-hmm. they should just teach classes on how to be a kind of passive aggressive prick. 
and just show them this is how to do it funny. And then just show clips of Bob Bilban going, now, you know that um, this is a movie about Jews, right? <laughs> just saying weird shit like this uh, is solid. So I love For Your Consideration. And I think I think that's it. I think that's Mr. Christopher Guest, Lord Christopher Guest. So uh, when you see him on the street, you do have to kneel down and kiss his royal signet ring, just so you guys know, okay? That is part of the lordship. So any final thoughts, Nick, on Mr. Christopher Guest? I guess not. Okay. <laughs> uh, Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara are the cutest. I think we should bring that up. They are the greatest. Catherine O'Hara is something else, man. Yeah. She is maybe one of my favorite comedic actors just all together. I mean, all, everybody listed her, Levy, Parker Posey, Jane Lynch. We don't get these people, Begley. We really don't get them in the mainstream into that second wave when they're in all this, you know, Adam McKay, Jody Hill. You know what I'm saying? Like, unless Christopher Guest brings them. Shit's Creek. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like. Shit's Creek doesn't happen without Christopher Guest and him basically creating this alternate version of mainstream comedy that just almost did not even exist before he decided to realize it. He took what Saturday Night Live wants to be <laughs> and goes, you know what's you'd be really cool? If I do this like every three years instead of every fucking weekend, and it's dog shit. So I can actually think of how to make it yeah. good. Like let's let's take our time. Yes. Make it funny. Yes. And then fuck off for three years. Totally, totally. Instead of, you know, insert terrible Saturday Night Live yeah, joke here. Exactly. Yeah. Bad. No, I know. I it's normally bad. Oh, did you know that the quarterback of the oh yeah, God. Uh, yeah. Ugh, ugh. Topical jokes. Hey Lauren Michaels, invite on another fucking fascist the host. Ugh. How about some COVID nineteen jokes? Oh, you get it? They're all the way over there. They can't hear what you're saying. <laughs> oh man, nailed it. We should pay these people to write it. Uh all right, everybody. That's been Blockbuster Film School. I'm Alex Bonner, one of your professors here, joined as always by the headmaster, Mr. Nicholas Souter. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> and of course, Mr. Super Producer Brian Tips. Yeah, that's See also you me. later, motherfuckers. All right, so. We had two very different <laughs> ideas of how he sounds. <laughs> He's able to create two different voices yeah. at the same time. If you want Brian Tips to talk on the microphone, we do still have a Patreon if you want to throw us some bucks to get Mr. Super Producer Brian Tips a microphone. It's not the uh, it's not the microphone. The you have the microphone. Yeah. The problem is the interface. Yeah. The interface yeah. you only get two of the mics to play <laughs> up, and then you know this thing costs yes. fourteen hundred dollars. You yes. guys want to give correct. me fourteen hundred dollars? I'll get on the show, but Hold it's on. not going to happen I'm until over. we get the interface. We right. have the mics and the cables. So it's just wait. George Lucas is here. We have the stands. <laughs> uh, uh, this is clearly this is clearly a terrible Jeff Goldblum impression. <laughs> I put a droplet of water on your hand because I'm hitting on you. Chaos, chaos theory. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Well, everybody, if you want to throw us some bucks, that'd be great. But please, if nothing else, if you like us, like and subscribe, tell your friends. That helps a lot. And also, Nick runs an amazing Instagram page, Blockbuster Film School, on Instagram. So please follow that. He does really awesome videos and fun shit for the page as well. So we love you guys. Feel free to hit us up. Feel free to say hello. I think you're doing a great job. Remember to do drugs. Have a grand old time. Live your life. Who gives a shit? and watch a bunch of movies and listen to Blockbuster Film School. We'll see you next week. See you then.